So we know that there are four seasons of a typical year. We have spring, and then we have summer, we have fall, and then we have winter. Now, those may be the four seasons that most people recognize, but I prefer to think about it as spring, summer, fall, and Christmas, right? See, I'm just not a person who likes to be cold. I really don't like snow. Is there anybody here who likes snow? Well, God bless you all. I am not one of them. I just can't stand it. And one of the things that really bothers me during this time of the year is how dark it is when I wake up in the morning and then how dark it is so early in the evening. It helps me to think that there is some purpose to my suffering throughout the season, knowing that Christmas is gonna come in the middle of winter and that there is something to look forward to. In Christmas, we see that there are lights that light up the darkest of nights, decorations that adorn people's houses. And we can look forward to the gift giving, and of course, let's be real, we look forward to the gift receiving as well. But most of all, we get to look forward to this joy that we receive knowing that Christmas is what brings us God's only son, the birth of Jesus Christ, so that we might know, we might feel the love of God for us. Now, it is not yet Christmas, though. In the Christian church, we are now celebrating the season of Advent. And this is a season of waiting. I know I'm complaining a lot today, but I don't like waiting either, right? I don't think many of us do. Don't worry, there's good stuff coming later. None of us like to wait. We stand in lines for what seems like hours. We pull our hair out from boredom sometimes, but that's not the same kind of waiting that we do during Advent. The waiting in Advent is an expectant waiting. It is this time that we ponder the hope that we receive through Jesus Christ. It is this hope that is a holy time of waiting, what prepares us for what is to come. Now there are, of course, quite a few people in scripture that we meet that spend this time waiting as well. And one of them is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as I said earlier, we're gonna be spending the next few weeks really focusing in on her, on what her experiences were, what her emotions may have been during this time. She is, after all, the Theotokos, the bearer of God. Now, in 1984, this song came out on the radio. It's played a lot at this time of the year, and uh, it's very popular. It's got these great lyrics people tend to sing along to. I do as well. It's got a gorgeous melody. It was written by Mark Lowry, and it's titled, Mary, Did You Know? We recognize that, right? So this song asked Mary if she knew that someday her son was going to walk on water. Did she know that someday he would, give blind, he would give sight to the blind? Did she know that he was going to calm this raging storm? And did she know that he would be the son of God, that he was here to save us all? Now we know the answer to that. It's here in this text, the Annunciation text that we heard this morning, where Gabriel came to her and told her and she may not have known all of the amazing details of what would happen, but she knew what was going to be in her life. 
and the life of the world. And then right after the passage that we heard today, she ends up singing her own song all about this. Now Lutherans tend to be guilty of not talking about Mary very much unless we're singing along to the radio or when we pull out that manger scene from storage. We probably actually talk about Mary Magdalene or Mary, the sister of Martha, quite a bit more than we talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think that one of the reasons for this is that everyone seems to view her differently. We argue about who she was in the whole story and how we should continue to incorporate her into our faith. Mark Lowry's song, he asked her all of these questions. He thought of her as someone who didn't know what was going to happen. Our siblings in Christ in the Eastern Orthodox Church tend to adorn her. Our siblings in the Catholic Church put her as the first most of the saints, um, worshiping as her, with her as a deity, someone they pray to as an intercessor between them and Jesus. And then we have the secular world, and in that world there are feminists who view Mary as this woman who was more than ready to stand on her own two feet independently, even if the man she was engaged to left. But anti-feminists, they see her as a model of what it means to be an obedient woman. And the United States Postal Service, of course, puts her on a stamp every year. So we have Mary all around us, and how is it that we are to understand her? This might be one of the reasons, of course, that we don't talk about her all that much. This sermon was actually quite difficult for me because I just couldn't decide what is it that I focus on with Mary. But when we stand back, when we look at the whole picture together, I think that there are at least three things that we can all agree on. The first is that Mary is a model of faith for us all. The second is that she is this wonderful example of God breaking into our lives, of God working the most extraordinary things through the most ordinary things. And the third is that Mary asks the same question that all of us at some point in time ask ourselves saying, how can this be? Now Mary's story is in the first chapter of Luke, but as is our practice, we like to look at the entire context of where the story comes in. So if you wouldn't mind opening your pew Bibles or if you have a device with you, you wanna look up um, this uh, passage on, that would be wonderful. It's on page 933 of your Bible, if you're in the pews. Otherwise, we are starting at verse five of Luke one. In this portion, as we start out, we hear about the angel Gabriel coming to a man named Zechariah. Before the angel comes to him, though, we learn that he is a priest. We learn from this scripture here that he is married to Elizabeth and that Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron who we know was Moses' brother. He's the one who actually did most of the talking in Exodus. And we learned that they were barren. Even though they desperately wanted to be able to have children, they couldn't. 
And this was a source of sorrow for them their entire lives. That is until the angel Gabriel enters the picture. And as Zechariah is praying just outside the temple, the angel comes to him and says in verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will know joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now we might think that upon hearing this news, Zechariah would be overjoyed and perhaps he was eventually. But his first response to Gabriel is one of disbelief. And because he couldn't believe that this could possibly happen, he said, I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. How can this be? He is struck mute. He cannot speak until after his son John is born. From this, we move straight into the story of Mary that we heard read this morning. So we hear now a second time that the angel Gabriel is coming to someone here, a human being, normal as can be, and professing to them that they will have a baby. Of course, we hear two very different responses to this as well. There in your passage you see that when the angel says similar words to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. Now I'm gonna presume that Mary had never prayed that at this point in her life she would become pregnant. She had no idea what in the world would cause God to have so much faith in her as to make her the bearer of the Son of God. Nevertheless, unlike Zechariah, she accepts the fact that God is choosing to work through her, that God is through her beginning to change the order of the entire world. Mary had no idea what it was going to be like. She was young, she was ill-prepared, she didn't know how it would feel to have those swollen ankles, that aching back, or the pain of intense contractions. She didn't have any political power, she wasn't married, and yet she accepted. She said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. She said yes. She gave trust in her plan, in God's plan through her for the entire world. This is the very definition for us of what we call incarnational theology. Mary was a vessel of the holiest of holies. And when she gave birth, the first piece fell into place for the way in which God would save us all. And also when she gave birth, that set forth the ability for each and every one of us to also be vessels of the holiest of holies. To have God living within us so that we also might go out in the faith that Mary had. 
I really don't know why we as Lutherans tend to treat Mary as this breakable, fragile piece of our manger scene that we unbox once a year and then put it back immediately after the season is over. But I do know that she unveils to us who we are in God's eyes and that our faith can indeed change the world, the lives of all people for the better. We ask the same question that Mary asked. We say, how can this be? How can God's love for me, this sinful, so ordinary person, be so great as to want to live within me too? But the reality is it doesn't actually matter how this can be. Because the truth is that this is the gospel truth for each and every one of us. There are two theologians who spoke about this that I wanna share with you this morning because I do believe that they encompass this entire passage so well for us. One is from the past and one is more contemporary. The first is Master Eckhart and he was a German theologian who predates Luther. He told us that every single one of us was meant to be a mother of God. He said, what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace, if I am not also full of grace? And the second is from James Luck Jr. He's a pastor at a United Church of Christ. He brought Mary's message straight into our lives and what we choose to do with our lives. He wrote, when we intentionally consider the biblical Mary, our excuses will not work. If God used Mary, then we are not too young. If God used Elizabeth, then we are not too old. Being from a cultural capital or an academic center is not a prerequisite in God's calculus either. If God brought something good out of Nazareth, then God's word can be born anew in the least likely of places still. God has always chose the most humble of vessels from the most humble of places to give birth to his world. Mary had no rights, no power, and yet, no, our excuses will not work here. Mary said yes. She chose to respond to God's faith in her with faith in God. She chose to trust in the plan that God had for her and for the world. So I believe the question becomes for us, what might be driving our response to the ways that God is calling us to live in this world because we are vessels of the Son of God? I pray that each of us is able to have the courageous faith of Mary throughout this time of Advent and beyond it, as we continue to ponder together God's extraordinary love for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.